0: I want to again thank everyone for coming out on Sunday nights. I know many of you are getting up early in the morning and heading off to work and doing those things which God's called you to do. So thank you for being here and spending time with us as we study this incredibly foundational account of the creation of the universe. And and it sets the stage really for the whole rest of the Bible I want to take a minute or two tonight to remind you if you've come in and this is your third or fourth study, uh, all the rest are available online. You can watch them on video. You can listen to them as a podcast. You can download the PowerPoint slides, all those kind of things. Uh, They're available to you. I also want to acknowledge a, a deep debt of gratitude in my own life for a number of men who have greatly affected me uh, in the area of science, uh, one of those is the late Dr. A.E. A- Wildersmith. Uh, if you get a chance to pick up his, uh, in essence, his biography, uh, it's called The Fulfilled Journey. An incredibly brilliant man who really had a, a large hand in kind of pointing me back towards these foundational truths. Also the late Dr. Henry Morris, the founder of the Institute for Creation Research. Dr. Michael Behe, his incredible book, Darwin's Black Box. Uh, There's just a number of brilliant scientists who happen to also be uh, believers that there is a God who created the universe. There's all kinds of materials available on the internet. The problem with those, uh, though I would encourage you to, to do your own research, is that very often they're one of two types. They're either kind of dumbed down to where uh, you you kind of miss some of the science, or sometimes they're just so lofty that the science itself will bury you. My hope is, as we continue through this series on the creationists, kind of hit the middle ground. And so I pray i will be able to do that. Um, But we have to look at the science for what it is. And I want to also make it very clear that in no way, shape, or form... Am I diminishing the science that has been done primarily to disprove uh, that there is a God and to prove that God is not necessary because those scientists also are brilliant scientists. And, And the work that they do, they believe because they start, if you were with us in our first study, they start with the premise that there is no God, so there must be a natural mechanism whereby the universe came into existence and unfortunately for them if you take out the biblical account then you have to basically reverse engineer the entire universe so you have what exists today and you are looking backwards to try and figure out what happened in the distant past we're going to be looking at the creation of light and dark tonight and of course, that's extremely important, especially when we talk about things like light years. Now, Most of you know that a light year is the distance that light itself travels in a single year. It's monumentally a long distance. It's 5.88 trillion miles. And so it is a very long distance. And when you look at the galaxies, when you look at the star systems, when you look at the universe as we know it, uh, when you go out, and though we can barely see it here in the South Bay, and look at the night sky, uh, if you happen to go to the eastern Sierras on a nice clear night and you're looking up, a vast majority of what you look at in the sky that appear to be stars are not stars at all, they're actually Galaxies. And in those galaxies, most of them containing 100 billion or more stars, very similar in size to our own sun. So the universe is massive. And when you think about the creation of that, its size in and of itself presents what seems to be a problem uh, if you're looking at the creation of the universe happening in six literal days. And so prayerfully, as we go through some of these creation events, we'll be able to break down some of the science to where you realize and see that there are multiple explanations and what we're looking for is the one that most closely represents the science that we have in front of us as well as makes the Bible accurate because we believe this Bible is true. Because if you do not believe Genesis 1, then you should not believe John 3.16. You shouldn't be picking and choosing which part of the Bible you believe because it is imperative that if your foundation is the Word of God and you understand the plan of salvation from the Word of God then if God plainly speaks to you about how he did what he did in the beginning then you might want to listen to that part also. So I pray that we'll be able to take some fairly difficult science and make it digestible uh, as we continue tonight with verses 3 through 5 and the creation of light and dark. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, tonight again, we want you to speak to us. And Lord, we need you to do that. Help our minds to be able to receive, uh, to collect these things that would help us understand. uh, Lord, you're... Incredible plan for mankind. Your word declares there in Romans chapter 1 that the very creation itself testifies of you so much so that we are without excuse that we could look at the creation and understand that there is a creator. And so, if that is true, then we should be able to look at the science because you're not a liar, you're not a deceiver. You speak the truth always, 100% of the time. And so God, help us to see the truth in all these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Tonight, let's take verses 3 through 5. And then God said, now I want you to recognize something, and you should circle these in your Bible. And then God said, you're going to find that there are ten of them. An easy way to remember these things is they are the ten commandments of creation, if you will each time God says he does something unique and foundational to the universe that we live in. In some cases to the planet that we live on, and in many cases we're going to see that he actually speaks into existence the animals, the plants, and everything else that we have on this planet. Now when people think of that, if if you are one of those people that refuses to believe that God actually tells the truth, he was kind of messing with us, or he was speaking metaphorically, then these things provide a problem. For me personally, I have no problem believing that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And so everything else is an extension Of that basic premise that God is who He says He is and can do what He says He can do, and He can do things that we cannot understand. So we begin with that premise, the first of the ten creation commandments. All of them begin with, and God said as a command. When God speaks, it's absolute truth, it's fact, it's not something we debate. And then God said, let there be light. And there was light. More literally rendered, light be and light was. Because we actually know who the light is. Amen? It's not a thing. It's a hymn. His name is Jesus. Light be and light was. And God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from darkness. Now, remember, in the beginning, there was nothing as far as the universe is created. In Latin, that's a phrase ex nilo. In other words, out of nothing. So there was nothing but darkness. If you have the absence of everything else, then there must be nothingness. There would be darkness. There would be a lack of all sources of energy. And so there is no light that's visible in this thing that God is creating. Now, notice I didn't say that light didn't exist, because Scripture just told us, and light be, and light was. So the light is now going to shine into the creation. But we must remember that God dwells outside of space and time. He dwells outside of His creation because He is the uncreated cause of everything else. He exists in three persons. We are now going to see the third person of the Trinity come into view. We've already seen God the Father. We've already seen God the Holy Spirit. Acting on the creation, now we have the light of the world come into the picture. So all three persons of the Trinity are now engaged in the creation account. And he saw the light that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness, and God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And so the evening and the morning were the first day. This is a very important statement because it's going to be repeated six times. And so these six days, beginning out of nothing, God takes this time, space, matter, triunity that we would call the universe that we live in, because the entire universe is made up of those three things. A physicist, whether a particle physicist or a standard physicist would tell you that the world, the universe, everything that we know of is made up of those three things, They're also energized, but the actual makeup is time and space and matter. And so that time, space, matter continuum is now energized, if you will. And I want you to notice that that man and woman are going to be placed in the garden in verse 26. And so Adam is going to get this account from God, and God is going to tell him that I simply spoke these things into existence. And so our view of it begins there first thing that God does and the first thing that we see is that he calls this beginning piece uh, of this wonderful puzzle called creation, he calls it a single day. He uses the Hebrew word yom, and we're going to look at that quite extensively tonight because it's imperative that we understand and and we'll look at actually what is a proper uh, standard method of biblical interpretation. It's called the law of first mention. When something is mentioned for the first time in all of Scripture, it will then go on to define by its definition at that time all future usages of it. And in this case, this is a defined day as solar day, a solar night, if you will, because the world is now spinning, it's been energized, it's been shaped, it's been molded into the earth that we now uh, reside on. And it is now spinning, and so it's going to have a literal day and a literal night. And the reason that's important is because this single word is, in essence, one of the things that is uh, the linchpin in, in a lot of people's theories as to how we got here and how the universe was actually created. And I want you to also notice, and I'll mention it again, Again, these are foundational truths that you kind of have to keep in mind as you go through the account. You're going to see what what we call a run-on sentence. Uh, If you're an English teacher in here, you would flunk out God for writing this this way. Because he uses and all too frequently. Uh, In other words, if you were sitting down to write something you don't use and. Jeff went to the store and Jeff bought a candy bar, and Jeff, you you would break those things up into thought. But because these things cannot be broken up, they're a polysendenton. Each one adds to the next what is previously before. In other words, you have to have every step along the way in exactly the way that they're described, or the whole system fails, these ands are actually important as a conjunction because they're not just joining thought, they're joining principles of science and they're joining the order in which God created the entire universe. And so they're very important ands and so you have to keep an eye out for that word. And again, if you want to circle or you want to highlight or put the ands in red and you can kind of get a picture of this. You can have the God saids and you can have the ands all underlined and it will give you a straightforward chronological history of what God did in six literal days. Adam knew what a day was and if there were any question, just in case he didn't get it, God helps him define it by saying, and there was an evening and a morning on the first day. Now it's important that the evening is first. Why? Because there was originally only darkness, so what would be first? The evening, not the morning. We we think our days begin in the morning. God says, well, that's not exactly how I did it. I began with darkness, and I interjected light into the creation. So in God's mind's eye view, he tells us what he did. It was dark in the creation, but he creates darkness and brings into view this thing that we call light, which we actually know is a he and not a thing at all. And so he calls the the light the day, and he calls the darkness night, and they were the evening and the morning on the first day. There are three things that we see that happen here, which we would use again the Latin phrase ex nilo, that happens in the beginning Of the creation account and throughout the creation account and they are unique things that God does without the use of anything that previously existed and they are also extremely important because one of the things that we know about humankind is we are three parts everybody get that you have a physical body you have a mind and you have a soul or spirit those three things are actually created in the creation account because they did not previously exist. And so the word he in Hebrew here that's used is bara, and it means from nothing to create. In other words, there wasn't something that was kind of like the parts. There was nothing there, and this is a new thing. From here on out, God is going to use two other Hebrew words, the Hebrew word asah, and yat-star. Those two words are to take something that already exists and to shape them, form them, and use them to make something else additionally. Like Adam being created out of the dust of the earth. So that word there is to take what already exists and make him. So again, very important that you get what God is doing here. And so he's going to take these three Uh, events you see the creation of the physical universe your body is part of the physical universe amen you're made out of the dust of the earth if you boil you down you are primarily carbon and water so you want to know what you're made out of you're made out of carbon primarily you are a carbon-based life form but you're made out of the principal thing that makes up the entire planet. Most of our planet is made up of carbon. And so you your physical body uh, made by God in the, in the creation. The second thing is all biologic life, all biologic life must have a mind. In other words, it has the ability to process information and to think. That is also a creation of God. And so he creates that when nothing existed. If there were just simply Uh, matter existing in the universe it wouldn't necessarily be able to think amen it's one of the problems with evolution evolution says there was a whole bunch of chemicals those chemicals got together got really friendly and created thought that is an impossibility and we're going to take a look at it again i'm not mocking i'm simply saying if you ask someone well how can chemicals store information How can chemicals begin to reorganize themselves? How can chemicals get together, put themselves together, and become far more complex than their original structure? You have to interject both energy and information into that equation for it to work. God says, well, I created the mind. I created life. We would call it life in that sense. The third thing, and it happens only with Adam, it happens only with Eve, it happens only with mankind, is the creation of what we call the Spirit. They that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So God creates the Spirit of Adam because it is in the Spirit that God is going to meet with Adam. And only with Adam... A very unique creation that exists in mankind alone. And so, though animals have a mind, animals have a consciousness, animals even have emotion, your Bible says that only man has a spirit. Eternal. They can understand salvation. And before you get too far along on this, yes, all dogs go to heaven. (laughs) But not cats. If you're a cat person, I'm sorry. No. We have cats and dogs, but my cats just look at me like, do something for me. So there are three nihilo bara, creation events that happen here, and that is the creation of something that did not previously exist. Matter, space, time. Physical consciousness, biologic life and the spirit. So all three parts of you are created during the creation account. So he goes on to talk about the first day, the order of the creation events. And so the first day of the week, he's going to activate, he's going to energize this new thing called the universe. And it begins to do some things that have never been done before because it's a newly created universe. It exists now for the first time. That initial mass of all the space, matter, and time exists unformed. That's exactly what your Bible says. In other words, it doesn't have the shape, it doesn't have the form. Gas clouds do not create stars. It's interesting. We've seen the destruction of all kinds of stars. Anybody in here know how many stars have actually been seen forming? Let me give you the answer, zero, none. And yet astrophysicists, astronomers will tell you that we know for sure that stars are created from balls of gas. There is no place in the known universe that has been scanned by the Hubble telescope or any other optical instrument, whether it's a radio telescope or any other kind, looking out into space that has seen the slightest hint of the formation of a star. There are things that they think are precursors to it. All kinds of supernovas and the remnants of them, the destructions of them. So things are decaying, but we do not see them becoming more structured and ordered anywhere in the universe, so far as we can see. And so... We now have the first day kind of working, and God is energizing. He's imparting motion. He, he's putting form to things. He's taking what used to be just a formless mass and actually making things like galaxies and star systems, planetary systems, interplanetary systems, all the things that, that we would say, well, those must have taken billions of years. Again, remind yourself who this is. This is God. God. This this is not a bunch of scientists getting together and saying, you know, if we have the right things, we can probably make a galaxy. Galaxies are so massive and yet so finely tuned that when you look at the universe and you realize, most of you know that we sit in the Milky Way galaxy, right? Did you know that we're almost exactly in the dead center of the universe? Did you know that we're also out on the very far reaches the furthest extent of one of the arms in the Milky Way galaxy the reason we know that is we can see through it we know what's on the other side of it we can see through the star systems that exist in our own galaxy and as you look at it we are so uniquely positioned bizarrely and strangely enough almost in the dead center of the known universe so that we can see pretty much every direction you kind of wonder if God did that on purpose don't you So I'm going to put people on that planet, so I want them to know where they are, so I'll locate them almost exactly in the center of the known universe. Did you know that our moon, gravitationally and size-wise, is almost exactly one four-hundredth of the Earth? And so when you look at that, there's an interesting thing that happens. The only way that we can actually gauge stellar distances is every once in a while we have what's called a full solar eclipse. The moon passes in front of the sun. We are four, that is also one four hundredth of the distance between earth and the sun. And so when it passes in front of it, it completely obscures it. You know what happens? We can actually then judge the distances that are beyond it. It's kind of like God was saying, I want to give you enough information so that when you look at the universe around you, you're going to kind of wonder, hmm, I wonder how that happened. And so God begins to do some things for us as he energizes and dispels darkness so that we can see. I don't know how many of you have ever traveled to any... How many of you have been to, like, Carlsbad Caverns or any cavern where you go inside and you go down inside the cavern and they turn off the lights? Is that the weirdest thing in the world? If you don't have some external light source, what can you see? Absolutely zip. Zip. Nothing. You can put your hand in front of your face, and because there is no energy emanating from it that's light energy, you can't even see your own hand. Your eyes begin to adjust and you try and see things. That's because darkness is the absence of light. That's all it is. If there's any light, so the moment somebody has the little zipper pull on their pullover that has, you know, some type of photovoltaic, you know, plastic on it to where you can light it up with a flashlight so you can see it in the dark. Even that little tiny zipper pull will make it so that you can actually see a little bit in there because now you have a little bit of light. God's saying, the universe was dark. I'm going to interject light because it is the light that allows people to see. They walked in darkness and then came the marvelous light, Amen? Amen, so God is going to create these things, and he 's going to do it in a sequence uh, that is very pertinent to us and Of course, we know uh, theres second Corinthians chapter four and verse six for God who commanded the light to shine out of the darkness in other words he 's saying, uh, "Son, could you turn on the light? Uh, shined in our hearts to give the light the knowledge of glory." God in the face of Jesus Christ. We we know what Scripture says about who the light source is. So what we have now is every form of energy that's necessary for the world to work, for the universe to work, uh, now exists uh, in this newly created universe. So everything exists. And it's interesting that when you boil the universe down, there are only a handful of things that are Actually, what we would call source, sources of energy. There's electromagnetic energy, there's gravitational energy, and there are nuclear forces, two kinds of those, both strong and weak nuclear forces. And so, God, by interjecting energy into this newly created creation, has made it so it functions, so it works. We can understand that there must have been, within the matter that God created, all of the things that we call a nucleus, nucleus made of proton, a few electrons. You have some electrons spinning around each atom. And so God's done all those things. He's created nuclear force. He's created electromagnetic wave energy, which that's how you see. We, look in it, we see the visible light spectrum. When you see white light, it actually isn't white at all. It's a number of wavelengths that add together some and total white light. But you're, you're now able to see those things. So God's created energy so you can see. God's created energy so that matter itself uh, moves and is attracted to one another. And he's also created all of the star systems, all of the galaxies. So gravity, which, by the way, is monumentally finely tuned throughout the universe, so much so that if you moved a galaxy in a collision course with another galaxy, uh, it would be detrimental to the entire universe. And so God puts all these things in motion. He's now got gravity working the way it's supposed to work. He's got nuclear force working the way it's supposed to work. And he's got the electromagnetic spectrum, and that would include, for those of you that are ancient hippies, uh, you you all know the wonderful value of ultraviolet light. Amen? Amen. All those horrible posters we used to have on the wall and you put that black light up there and there there it is. Well normally you can't see those wavelengths because your eye doesn't pick those up. You also can't see infrared light. So both long and short wave light forms. God puts all of it into perspective at this time. He begins for all of it to work. And while it is immensely simplified, you could say it this way. In this creative act of the Godhead, you have all three persons working. And notice this, the nuclear forces that are maintained by the integrity of matter, God does that by activating the time-space-matter continuum. When, when we saw the Holy Spirit last time begin to work, we saw all of the gravitational forces, everything that's working together. The Holy Spirit hovered over the universe. Those things are working, and now we see all of the light forms So you now have the work of the Father, the work of the Holy Spirit, and the work of the Son in energizing the entire universe. They're all involved in it. So God's being very specific as he tells us about the order of these things. So all accomplished here on the first day of creation. And so as we look at this, how does he do it and when does he do it? Again, I want to draw your attention to to a biblical principle of interpretation Um, It is consistent. Most of those who would call themselves theologians, most of those who call themselves Bible expositors, when you look at the Bible, unless there is a reason for you to believe that a word means something else or is changed by context, the first time that it is used, it is the way that you understand the usage of that particular word, because God is very, very, very organized. So he's not going to make a day two and a half billion years, in Genesis chapter 1 and then change it to 24 hours in Genesis chapter 2. Especially when he repeats the phrase over and over again the evening and the morning on the first day and on the second day and on the third day and on the fourth day and on the fifth day and on the sixth day and each time he uses the Hebrew word yom. He's trying to tell us look it's an evening It's a morning, and then he defines it, in case you don't get it, by light and dark. So what happens on a solar day? It's light, and it's dark, and it's bounded by an evening and a morning. And he simply says, I did these things in six days. Now that messes with people's minds. How could God do that? And we're going to get into a, a little bit of what I think is probably the big question, maybe for most of you tonight. And so he he uses this definition of this Hebrew word yom to say, look, this is a day. I want you to get it. So he repeats it, uses exactly the same word. Now, an example of something that would not be the same usage of the word day as being a single day is the day of the Lord. And how do we know that that is not a 24 hour day? Because repeatedly throughout Scripture, every time the day of the Lord is used in a phrase, it's also told to us that it is a specific period of time. We call it the time of Jacob's trouble. We call it the tribulation. We we call it the final day of God's wrath because he defines it in a completely different way. And so we know that that's not a literal day because he uses it with the day of the Lord. And so he uses it in context. So context, we, we say in interpretation, context is king. Law of first mention says if it plainly says it, you believe it as it is. And context being king says if context changes the reason whereby that word would not be taken literally, then you can take it non-literally. But unless it does, it's to be taken literally. So these are six literal days, Hebrew days. Uh, that we would just simply call a normal calendar day. And so what you're all thinking right now is, okay, that's fine, that's well, that's all good. How in the world can that possibly be? Because when I was in high school, I studied physics, and when you were in high school and college, you studied a little bit of physics, and probably most of you got a C if you got Uh, a good grade. Probably some of you didn't do so well, because physics is one of those things that's relatively difficult to understand, because it involves higher mathematics, very large mathematical equations, and numbers that, to us, are kind of ridiculous to think about. Because you all know that the speed of light is very extreme. It's actually 186,282 miles per second. And so when you think about light traveling, and you look out at a star system, and you look at the massive size of that star system, and you realize that that light has been traveling for a long ways in order for that distant to be that great, then your natural assumption is, if we're in the center of the universe and we can look out 13.7 billion light years, that means that light has been traveling for 13.7 billion years. That's the natural assumption of someone who says there is no God. And I want to kind of hover around this for a moment because that's the assumption that most people start with. There is no God or if there is a God, he likes to mess with us so he gave us a bunch of science that we cannot understand. It's one of the most frequent questions I get. Well how can, if the universe is as big as we think it is how can those distances be so great? Here's how an astrophysicist looks at that equation light speed being what it is, 186,282 miles per second. If you do that for a year, then at that speed, you're going to travel about 5.88 trillion miles in one year at the speed of light. Most of you have probably heard of Einstein's theory of relativity. Uh, It is denoted, you would look at it, and you say E equals MC squared. The C is the speed of light in that equation. Einstein believed that light continuously traveled at exactly the same speed. It's one of the functioning constants in the world of physics tonight as we sit here. If you were to travel to the the Hadron Large Collider in the CERN facility in Switzerland... One of the things that they do is try and accelerate very small particles to near the speed of light. They run them around a cylindrical accelerator. Uh, They keep magnetizing them to push them forward. And ultimately the hope is that they would slam into each other and thereby break up into their tiniest component parts. What they were looking for primarily is a particle known as the Higgs-Boson particle. And that particle is supposed to be the missing mass and the missing energy that actually explains why the universe works. About five years ago, they thought, again thought, that they actually found that particle. It still actually hasn't been proven mathematically. The reason this is all important to you is because theoretically, if you could travel faster than the speed of light, you would also be going forward in time. And if you could slow down the speed of light, then you would be going back in time. Because everything you see is directly related to the light emanating from it. In other words, I know where you are because light is reflecting off your body. It gives the image of who you are. And I see you where you are because the speed of light continues to come at me at a constant speed. Slow it down, you're going to go into the past, speed it up, you're going to get here really quick. Why is that important? Because when you look at the creation of the universe, one of the things that an astrophysicist won't tell you is all the measurements that they do to figure out those great distances can actually only be done to about 300 light years in distance. The physical measurements that they do are so mathematically complex that only to about 300 light years. So now imagine that the supposed distance of the center of the universe from where we are to the outer edge of the universe is 13.7 billion years. How much guesswork do you think has been done to get out that far? A whole bunch. They're just extrapolations of data. One of the things that's happened in the last about 13, 14 years or so is a number of things that have come along that are theoretical, physical problems that have actually questioned whether Einstein was correct. Whether the C, the constant in his, the speed of light, was actually a constant, or whether it was not a constant. And consequently, they've developed a new theory, VSL, Varying Speed of Light Theory, which explains the great distances that we have in our universe. So there are a number of questions that are being put forth by non-Christian, non-creationist scientists that lead us to believe that they don't exactly have a whole bunch of, Uh, of background for the theory itself that light is even a constant speed. So imagine that you speed it up at the beginning. Great distances could become instantaneous. What does the creation account say? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. If he created time, if he created light, If he created mass, in other words, he created energy, the entire universe, he could make it go as fast as he wants. And whether he did that for 2.7 nanoseconds, or whether he did that for the whole first day, God created it so he could do anything he wants in that first day, and in the second day, and in the third day, and in the fourth day. That's why Isaiah the prophet said it this way in Isaiah 55, verse 9, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, which they are, amen, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. God simply does things. God is God. Job actually so understood this in Job chapter 22 and verse 12. He said, Is not God in the height of heaven and the highest of the stars? Can we see how lofty they are, is the literal rendering of that passage? He was actually asking a question. He says, we can't see how lofty the stars are. We, we don't know where they actually exist at that point in time. Uh, Job had some pretty marvelous scientific insights. We'll look at a few of those as we go through. You, you see, an evolutionist, specifically someone who believes in the evolution of the cosmos, has to have extremely long periods of time and has to have massive distances. That's an absolute given. But if you're somebody who believes God's ways are above our ways and we can't know them, and he can do things that perhaps even today we can't explain, no matter how good we are at astrophysics... No matter how good we are at particle physics, no matter what we might do with regard to trying, figuring out how this whole universe functions, God's constantly throwing little things at us because the last thing he wants us to do is to factor him out of the equation. And that's the beauty of what's going on right now in particle physics. As close as they keep getting, they keep running into little roadblocks Uh, Specifically, right now, the missing mass of the universe. How could the universe actually have gravitation? Hence, this particle that we've affectionately named the God particle, the, the Higgs boson particle. That particle was supposed to be the key to all of this. Matter of fact, they had a giant celebration. And so, this facility that's on the Franco Swiss border, it's actually outside of Geneva, Switzerland, they slam these particles into each other and and they find this trail of this possible God particle, this Higgs Boson particle. The scientific world goes nuts. Here's the problem. They still don't know how that particle actually interacts with the physical universe. And they were actually concerned that while they were doing this, that there was a potential that the, even, the creation of a single particle might have produced something like a black hole. That would have been kind of bad in Switzerland. All of a sudden, matter, antimatter going back, suck the whole thing in. These are some of the most brilliant minds on the planet, by the way, and make no mistake about it. They are absolutely stellar in their intellect. And and I mean no disrespect to to any of them. They they have forgotten more particle physics than I will ever know. But here's the issue. As brilliant as they are, and by the way, Al Gore did not create the World Wide Web. It was created at CERN in Switzerland. It's a large supercomputing bank, by the way. And so the World Wide Web was actually created there. It still, in essence, is on the hub of that type of technology. You you see, for a creationist, here's what happens. As we think about some of these things that are guesstimates, as we think about the billions of trillions of miles, I have zero problem with the universe being 13.7 billion light years across. Why? Because an infinite God who dwells outside of space and time can do exactly what he wants to do. And so if he creates a functioning universe, which your Bible says he does, he doesn't cre- create an unfunctioning universe. He creates the matter, the space, and the time, and then he makes functioning a functioning universe out of that. If he does that, it all has to be working together simultaneously, And so the great mass and the star systems and everything exists, the the galaxies that exist in our world, the reason that that has to all work, if it doesn't all work the first time, it won't work at all. So if he's going to make a sun that needs to be as we are right now, a little better than four million miles from this earth, otherwise we all cook, you don't want to move to Venus, you don't want to move to Mars, you're going to burn on one, freeze on the other, if we have to have as human beings the exact amount of gravity that we have here on Earth for our bodies to even function, then, then he needs to make a very specific place for us to dwell. In order to do that, the entire universe has to actually function as a whole the instant it comes into being. God says he simply created it. So I don't have a problem when someone says, well, the universe can't be that, sure it can. The problem is, is how did the light get from those stars to here if creation took place in six days, and it was about 10,000 years ago or so? We'll get to that the next time when we actually look at the, the interaction between light and, and our planet. So what's God really saying to us? Well, he's basically saying we don't know everything. He's basically saying when you look at the universe... If you're a theoretical mathematician here, raise your hand. I didn't think so. If you're a plasma physicist, raise your hand. You're going to get a lot of questions. You may not want to do that. That's what I'm saying. And again, that's to honor those those disciplines of science. And I, I really am saying these are brilliant, brilliant, brilliant people. But they are so few and far between. Now, if you have to believe in theoretical mathematics, and you have to believe in particle physics that tear apart the universe in such a way as to divide it into a couple of component parts that ultimately represent both dark energy, in other words, energy that's invisible and matter that's invisible, and your conclusion is, and this is the current state of the universe, the cosmos as we know it, according to to mathematics and according to physics, that about 93 to 95% of the known universe exists of something we can't detect and can't see. That's the only answer. But God. So all of those hundreds of billions of dollars have been spent spinning particles around. It's such a crazy science that if you were to travel to the, the Hadrian Large Collider there at the CERN facility in Switzerland, They take a bottle of hydrogen gas and they release a line of particles into that thing and and they don't do these experiments so infrequently that that bottle is only changed once a year. It's because the mathematics is so complex. you think that God is going to give you something that you can't at least discern a little bit of his hand in it? Because again, Romans 1 says you can look at the creation and through the creation understand that there's a creator. So why do you think God's made it so complex? It's so that we'll look at it and go, I'm thinking the fact that they can't understand what 95% of the universe is still to this day with all of the study that we do is probably an indicator that God's at work. And I believe that is in fact what he's done. And so we do take the, the word of God seriously when looking at the scientific arguments. So those billions and trillions of miles that we see, not a problem for us. Here's why. When Adam gets created, can you imagine if we had a, if we had a planet where animal life had no light, where plants had no, most of you understand If you put a plant in a place where it gets no sunlight, does it live very long? No. If you put human beings outside of the sphere of sunlight landing on their skin, what happens to them? They become depressed. Uh, They eventually get very, very cold and eventually die. God knew what he was doing. He simply creates the stars, he creates the planets, he creates this earth, and he creates the light so that when Adam wakes up on his first day, he gets to look and see the sun, he gets to feel the warmth of the sun, he gets to see the stars at night. Can you imagine if that had taken billions of years for those, to co- those things to come about? All of the energy necessary to actually energize the entire cosmos would have not existed had it not existed simultaneously with the creation of the planets themselves. You see, we we try and factor God out, then all of a sudden we come up with a greater problem than saying there's a God. God is so good to give us problems to solve. So when you look back at this passage, Einstein's basic theory, and I don't want to bore you with the science, uh, there are a number of theories uh, that, are, that are being floated and they are being considered wholeheartedly now uh, because no one can explain uh, the universe as we see it and we know it with the speed of light being a constant. So if God creates the universe and in a flash the universe exists, if something is non-existent and then it's existent, what has to happen in that initial moment of its existence, there has to be massive acceleration. There has to be the acceleration of both time and matter. And so could it be that God as he creates light just instantaneously makes it emanate out? And so in that split second that God creates it, all of a sudden that light has accelerated massively from the first star all the way to our planet. I believe that's what God did. Now we're still working on the mathematics to try and prove it, um, but there's some pretty serious science being done right now that says there is a possibility that what they're going to come up with is that the supposed Big Bang is light didn't exist at all, and then it accelerated extremely rapidly, likely beyond what we would call the speed of light initially. So that would take care of all the time. That would also take care of all the distance. So when someone says, well, you know, you creationists are just dumb. That's not true. And it's not true that someone who's a physicist is dumb either. But the fact of the matter is, we both have some questions we need to ask. And as we ask them, neither one of us are going to get all the answers just yet. But we will one day, because we're going to see the real light of the word, light of the world, the the one who put all of this into place. You see what God says as you take the Bible seriously in the book of Exodus declares it, the Lord made the heavens and the earth and he wrote these words with the finger of God. So God says, look, I simply did these things. I can trust God with that. I may not be able to explain it all, but I can trust him with the creation of the known universe. Uh, It's a whole bunch bunch more sensible to me than trying to figure out the strange mathematics uh, of quarks and quasars and Higgs boson particles and dark matter and dark energy and all these things that uh, would require that one have a PhD at least, probably two or three of them, in order to understand the mathematics. When God says you can look at my universe, you can look at the things created and understand who I am. So what it does for me is it just makes me ask questions. And where I land is, who is the real light of the world? Jesus said something very amazing in John chapter 8 and in verse 12. I'm going to bring the worship team back up. And while they're making their way here, what Jesus said, he said, I am, I am the light of the world. Now, we know he was the spiritual light of the world, but could he have been making an inference to the fact that he was actually the light of the world? As in the one who actually is light itself? I think he was. And furthermore, I think scripture backs that up. Uh, I believe that Revelation chapter 21, verse 23 gives us a picture of it for the glory of God, this is speaking of the new heaven, the new earth, the new creation, for the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light of it. In other words, it appears that Jesus is actually going to take that literal role in the new heaven and the new earth of being the light. So when he said, I am the light of the world, he did that, by the way, on the steps of the temple. And he did it to the celebration what we would call around the time of Hanukkah. In other words, the, the feast of celebration. The relighting of the menorah inside the temple. He says, you might think that menorah is the light, but it's not. I'm the light of the world. The reason that that oil in that lamp produces anything is because I spoke light into existence into this world. Probably the people looking at him, are are you saying you're the sun? (laughs) You know, we get up every day and we see the sun. The sun's the thing that lights us. He's saying, no, the sun wouldn't have any light if it weren't for me. I'm the light of the world. And it appears when the new heaven and the new earth are actually uh, made for us that we're going to see them in that way. You won't need a a sun. You won't need stars. We'll just have the light of the world lighting our way. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand. Now, some of you were probably here this morning. Some of you were not. And we do have the elements of communion available for you to toni- for you tonight. And, and we want to make sure that uh, you're able to participate at the Lord's table. And we're going to play a worship song. We're going to worship the Lord. But I want to remind you that there on the table is the bread, representing the broken body of the Lord, and the cup representing his blood that was shed for the remission of sin. And the only thing that we would request is as you go to the table and you can go as the Lord should prompt you, is that you would take the elements of communion. Maybe you can go someplace near where the elements are or go back to wherever you're sitting now. But that you would take them and that you would do what Jesus said. He said, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. And so this is a remembrance of what Jesus did at Calvary's cross to provide for our salvation. And and we celebrate that at the communion table. For the rest of you, if you were here today and you've already participated at the Lord's table, don't feel obligated. If you haven't had a chance, uh, then please do celebrate the fact that we can think tonight uh, about the light of the world, uh, about the light that shines on every man because Jesus came into the world, the one that we're going to study in John's gospel. That's the very first thing that comes into view is Jesus' role. Uh, as the Savior, as he's born. But participate as the Lord should lead. How uh, We're going to worship. We'll have some pastors come forward for those of you that maybe have a prayer need tonight. But remember what God said. He says, Light be, and light was. And that was the evening and the morning on the first day. And so God, in his marvelous account of what he did, has now created a functioning triuniverse of time, space, and matter. He did so with the full work of God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, and God the Son, each one taking a part. And, and now we begin to see what God's going to do with these functioning parts that he's made. He's going to now shape them into the things that we actually need as humankind. And so the creation is amazing. When he says here, let there be light, he's not going to say, let there be lights, as in lights in the sky, till we get to verse 14. So he is now energized and lit his universe while still having some work to do with the creation. Only God can do that. Science will tell you, now stars couldn't have possibly had that it happen. It's one of the things that makes the creation count different. It, it brings us to that place to recognize that God alone can do what God can do. And so we can trust him with that. We hold him forth. That's why Paul wrote to the church at Philippi. We hold Jesus forth and we shine his lights in this world, holding forth the word of life because he is worthy of that worship. Amen. Father, thank you for this time tonight. We pray, Lord, that as we think on our world, as we think on this cosmos, as we look up into the night sky and we ponder uh, what exists out there, we know uh, that you, Creator God, dwell outside of space and time. You've uniquely crafted this little tiny planet, this little blue ball uh, right here in the center of the universe. You've stuck us Uh, just in the right spot from our sun. You've given us a moon to create tides and weather systems and done all these wonderful things, Lord, so that we would have a a wonderful place to worship you. And we do that now. Uh, We close in a time of worship and a time of communion. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship. Amen.